0: Welcome back to a brand new episode of Tips with Salsa, talk tips and tales from the nonprofit community. I'm Craig Grella, Salsa's content marketer, and on this episode of the podcast, Wendy Levine, our marketing director, sits down with founder and CEO of Pond to discuss nonprofit technology education and matchmaking. So, Wendy, what exactly is Pond? (laughs) That's a really good question. Pond is this cool concept Um, Mitch describes as a matchmaking service for nonprofits, among other things, nonprofits and technology. So this is a platform where nonprofits of all kinds of different uh, capabilities and, and sizes can go to get information on the technology that's out there, that's available, how to implement it, how to find the right tool set. Unlike other platforms that are out there, it is Focused on the nonprofit, so vendors like Salsa, we're not paying to, you know, uh, be seen by the nonprofits. Uh, The nonprofits are driving the information, they're driving the meetings if they want them with the technology providers, and Pond is giving them information on how to find tools, how to implement tools, and is also matching them. With tools that they are, you know, that meet that would meet their needs. So it's it's just a really cool concept. And uh, we talk in this episode with Mitch about how not everyone, sometimes no one, at a nonprofit is dedicated to managing technology, but everyone uses technology. And how to get those people the right tools is really what Pond is all about. Well, this sounds like a really unique concept and a great episode. So let's give it a listen. Welcome to Tips with Salsa, talk, tales, and tips from the nonprofit community. Today, we're joined by Mitch Stein. Mitch is the co-founder and CEO of Pond, which is really a new and kind of unique concept in the nonprofit tech space. So Mitch, welcome to Tips with Salsa.
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, really glad to be here, Wendy. And, um, uh, yeah, I'd love excited to share a bit more about Pond and what we're learning and and, uh, about the sector. And the way people think about Pond and how it works is it's really like a dating app for nonprofits and the tools and services they use. So um, a lot of people might call that a marketplace. Uh, Most marketplaces, if you think about how you put a trip together on Expedia or you buy a home on Zillow, um, it's all dependent on you as the shopper to know what you're looking for, have the time to do the searching, have the money to invest in those things and really trust that all those providers that you're coming across are trustworthy. And what we found in the nonprofit space and the reason uh, tech is so really underpenetrated, underutilized at large in the sector is because a lot of those things aren't necessarily true about the buyer base. And we needed to rethink how that market could work to bring to connect people with the tools that are best for them and best for their mission. And so uh, nonprofits can... Join Pond. They, it takes about two to three minutes. They can create a listing that says, hey, these are the tools we use. These are things we're looking for. This is what we do. Really meeting them where they are in their own words, in their own description. And then vendors and providers of a whole host of products and services um, are able to look at that and say, that's the type of or, uh, customer organization that we serve and work with well. I want to talk to you. Um, And so they sort of right swipe, if you will, make the first move uh, to put an ask out there to an organization. And then the organization is very passively able to see, okay, once a week, I got these four requests. That doesn't sound relevant. This sounds good. And any of those people they do end up connecting with, they actually get paid for having the call. They get $100 in their account because we are kind of removing the extra marketing spend for those providers. They have direct access to a new customer that they would have paid Google or Facebook or LinkedIn good money to get connected with them. And so we're saying, what if you could put that marketing dollar to work in the nonprofit's account on Pond, which, you know, of course, you're compensating for them, compensating them for their time, which is great. Uh, the money is going to a nonprofit instead of a, you know, big search engine. Great. But also it's allowing them to have some budget to get started to spend on something where they so often that's a big limiter. And even getting started evaluating new tools.
0: That's good. This is sort of a, a feel good version of some of the uh, commercial sites that are out there that just list lots of ads for technology products, and it's kind of hard to tell on some of those sites whether the you know what you're seeing is based on what people paid to be shown or what is actually the case. Um, And that was one of the things I liked about Pond. Uh, It just seemed like a more real community.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of that, Wendy, that's a great point because it all comes down to like, what is the business model, right? Are you, is your customer, and people say this about social media and stuff. If your business model is advertising dollars, your customer is the advertiser and the platform is ultimately built around them. And that's like, you know, what you mentioned about different review sites or stuff that you'll come across um, on the Internet when you're just randomly Googling, which is like the number one thing. Every nonprofit Google is their best coworker. Uh, You know, it's like how many times in the past week have you Googled, like, how can I raise more money? (laughs) Which everyone is doing. Um, And when you come across those results, you're absolutely right. You they are centered around the provider and the really unique perspective of pond is it's really centered around the nonprofit like the listing for the nonprofit and their need is what's centered that is the platform and because our business is like as an agent to the nonprofit like they're compensated for their time and we take a small amount of that money as our business it really changes the dynamic to make it possible to be really more authentic and true and um and helpful and my my own, I'm biased, I just love but that concept.
0: Yeah, I just, I love that concept. Can you, uh, for the folks that are listening, could you maybe give people just a general idea of the types of technology that a nonprofit would find out about on Pond?
1: Yeah, of course. We have about 140 uh, tech providers on the platform currently. Um, so it's a huge spectrum of, of products and services. I think there's Um, Some of the more popular things that obviously Salsa does are around CRM and fundraising. That's, um, you know, data management, engagement. Um, Those are certainly some popular things that there's still a lot of organizations that either don't have a system for yet or are in a legacy system that they're still pretty unhappy with. So that's a really common use case. But there's also a huge um, spectrum of other tools, whether it's grants management or, you know, you know, special data analytics and AI tools—you can get really fancy with things, or back to basics with donation, simple donation forms and website help. And um, you know, it's it's covers a ton of bases. And what we've seen and how people use it is there's really two primary use cases. Um, the one is like we want a CRM, we want it to do X, Y, Z. Um, here's this like stats on how we're going to use it or what we need out of it. We need it to incorporate volunteers, and we want to be able to send an email, like really specific. It's almost like an RFP, but you can just like freeform write a paragraph on it and you don't need it to take like months of deliberation. It's just uh, making that much easier to get started. The other primary use case is really, yeah, I work in fundraising and like, this is what we do. And these are our goals. I don't have time. You know, we've got 140 products on Pond. There's probably like a thousand out there that we're trying to get them all incorporated, but there is, it's impossible for a nonprofit professional to stay on top of what are all the tools even out there and you know they're getting hit up with cold calls and spam constantly and we view pond as a way to say okay i cannot engage with the noise like <laughs> i cannot engage with the ocean that's overwhelming of all this stuff out there but i can share a specific question i have a specific need a goal you know we want more um, engagement with younger donors or we're experiencing a lot of churn Um, and we're not really retaining folks, or our direct mail seems to be less effective. Um, You know, those types of questions where someone might not even assume that's a tech question, um, we want to take the work off their plate to make the connection to figure out what the tech answer is, because basically any question has a tech answer. So we see a lot of people making listings like that, and then they'll hear from like, oh, I didn't realize there were robots that could do my handwritten thank you notes for me at a comparable cost to my existing direct mail service, right? It's like mind blowing. So we have multiple, multiple providers on Pond that will um, they basically learn your handwriting through a software program and then program it into a robot that like literally holds a pen to write a letter. But they, since they also manage the direct mail, like the actual packaging and posting and sending it's actually comparable to a lot of the cost of like a normal direct mail program. So it's pretty wild. And then you've got like personalized video messaging that's become really popular, particularly with like schools and um, zoos and stuff, like more very visual causes where you can send personal you know, automated video messages that are basically based like a mail merge into a personal video um, that is also like accessibly priced to a lot of organizations. Um, so people finding out about those things has been really cool because, you know, we see, we get reviews in every one of these interactions. Um, so we're also cataloging, like, um, you know, what are people interested in? What, it, What? where is their low awareness? How can we help build that awareness? Um, and, uh, you know, also to be frank, like if there's a, a bad salesperson, we've had like an example of someone that like. Didn't behave well on a call, and we were able to spot it right away, flag it to the company in a way that otherwise, how would you ever? Unless that, like most of those people, if you're on a bad sales call, you're just like, ugh, <laughs> like I don't want to talk to them again, and they just ignore it and, and don't want to come back to it. And the fact that we're able to actually like resolve that as kind of an, as an intermediary, just to flag that to a company who would definitely want to know if someone wasn't behaving well on a call in a way that they otherwise wouldn't really have access to that information.
0: Oh that's cool. And and my takeaway from this um session today is that there are robots that do handwriting. So I just think that's <laughs> <It's>, so cool.
1: <laughs> um, well I, and it's a, it's a good flag Wendy that there's there's so much innovation in this space. And I and I think a big reason why we started Pond What and and just my background for everyone's benefit, which is very atypical, I was an investment banker. (laughs) so not your typical like uh, nonprofit tech founder at all, but I just cared a lot about fundraising in the nonprofit sector. Um, And I saw an organization I was working with go through a really fraught process to get out of a contract with an existing provider for a fundraising platform and struggle to find a new one. And my takeaway from that all was like, this is a disaster. And the fact that they had the time, resources, and people to manage it was a luxury because that is not the case for the vast majority of nonprofits in the sector. Um, And so, like that inaccessibility of tech to so many people um, just kept me up at night. And I thought a lot about like, okay, if we didn't like this fundraising platform, do I need to go build a fundraising platform as like you know my own entrepreneurial journey? And as, as you all know, and I started looking into it, I'm like, oh, wait, there are already hundreds of companies doing that. Maybe that's not the problem, that there aren't enough of them, but maybe this is like an infrastructure problem. It's the connection point. Like, how can you build a market that makes all the great work people are doing more accessible to people? And the real key is by making it more accessible, you're making it a better market for people to invest in innovation, right? If you've got more people you know, that are participating as potential buyers, and they're empowered to do so, that now incentivizes more companies to figure out like, oh, what are new, better things we can do specifically for nonprofits? Not a, not a, not a discount, not like the leftovers, right? Not like the pro bono work, but because this is a, a real business and it deserves to be innovated around.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I've heard you in the past make the point that everyone is a technology person, whether they like it or not. I think you did an event recently called Sorry You Are a Tech Person. Um, and, And I think the point is that even if you aren't an IT person and don't think of yourself as a techie, you're going to be using software and you're going to be selecting software and figuring out how to make it work. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you work with different kinds of people at these nonprofits? Because they don't all have IT staffs.
1: No, no, most, most don't. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's an important message that is not meant to be scolding. It's meant to be empowering and kind of like some real talk because the reality is, and, and I think people are now in a place to accept that after a year and a half of pandemic, remote, hybrid, virtual, like being the name of the game. There's there's no work without technology. Like there's nothing, and so I think it it resonates more with people to be like, oh yeah, if it, it's happening to me, like if I'm not going to participate and have an opinion and have a view and be educated um, around options or things we could be doing, um, it will continue happening to me. I will continue being a receiver of technology. And what we really want to create space for is. You know how can everybody, no matter your role, be engaged to some extent? Um, Because as I mentioned, the awareness being so low, you can make strategic decisions for your organization that could be, you know, you know, too dramatic, not maybe not detrimental, but seriously misplaced time, energy, resources. If you just don't have an awareness of what's out there, we're not saying every nonprofit should use like four hundred different tools. Definitely not but they deserve to have, be empowered to know what they are and aren't using and why. Um, you know, One example that we came across was an organization where um, a, they had a board member who was like a, a developer, a software engineer, which I'm like, what a blessing for like any nonprofit to have uh, that perspective in their board. But what happened was they were like, oh yeah, we had a board member, so we didn't really need to worry about tech. Like they handled it all. And we wanted to, like, engage our community in a community platform. And so we were able to find, they were able to find us a really low-cost developer that only cost us, like, a few thousand dollars to build this thing. And, you know, I I had to just be like, well, did did you look into other options? Because, you know, there's, like, out-of-the-box community tools that you could at least, like, test it out and see how people use it, experiment, and know what you're building into and spending... And so like, they just had no idea that existed, right? And and I think that situation is so common where even when someone does wanna get engaged with tech, it's like, there's this barrier to actually, they're like, we know we need something and so I'm gonna hand it off to someone else to figure it out. And so if we can make space and like the on-ramp <laughs> into the tech world accessible to more and more kinds of people, whether that is this person who was an ED at a grassroots organization, um, or maybe it's a development director, right? Who's, you know, you know, I was just talking to a development director yesterday, who's like, "Oh, well, you know, I'm more of like the people person. I don't, I don't really handle all the tech stuff." And I'm like, "How do you keep track of your conversations with those people that you're people personing with?" You know, it's like you are a user. Um, you're gonna have problems and complaints and goals, and if you're not voicing them or you're waiting for someone else to, you know, to figure them out you're kind of excluding yourself from the table where it's happening. And it's going to be more and more important to driving missions going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're sort of redefining what it means to be a technology person. That doesn't mean you're a developer. It doesn't mean you're a programmer. It, It means you are a user and you know what you need and you're able to use the software. Yeah, that's interesting. So part of what you guys do is really education, it sounds like. Helping people understand what they, what questions they should be asking, and what's out there.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's a great point, and, and at multiple levels, right? Because there's the question you could be asking on your pond profile, um, which is, you know, there's no wrong answer because it's actually helpful how you ask a question or, or how you describe it or the language you use for a provider to know kind of where you are right? If they're a super advanced solution, um, that's really expensive. There's a great place for that thing. I'm not saying that's bad, but it might not be the best thing for someone who's like, all right, we're ready to get off the spreadsheet. You know, like Maybe there's like a middle point for them to go to next with their next tool. Um, so I, I think that's, it's very valuable to educate people really on just giving voice to their problem and not worrying about it, which is part of the benefit of Pond being anonymous, by the way, is it's like, even if you're in an organization and you're like, well, I don't want to ask a stupid question and other people see it as like named our organization. We're like, just don't worry about it. Right. Like just get out there and dip your toe, start going. Um, But yeah, there's certainly another piece around questions to ask when you're engaging with someone. Right. Because there's a, there's an interesting power dynamic once you do get on the phone and you're talking to um, one of the wonderful salespeople uh, or business development folks from salsa or anywhere else Um, they do this all day long. Right. So there's like a bit, there's like quite an advantage um, and like a power dynamic there of like, this could be my first call with this type of product and I don't know anything about it. And so I think um, empowering people to know like a couple of the baseline questions that you should, you know, bring with you, make sure that you're setting the tone and the stage for the conversation. Because also like the salesperson would rather have that right than just like coldly saying their spiel for 30 minutes they would so much rather you give them specific things what are you looking for what are your problems because also a lot of the times they might be like you know what it doesn't sound like this is a good fit and that's like a win for everybody to figure that out early then 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 you know further along and just making a pitch for a pitch's sake everybody would rather that participant come with you know knowing what their priorities are and knowing how they rank right like knowing Um, nothing's going to be perfect on all fronts for all things. So you, like, you really need to under, have a view on like, what is the biggest thing for me? Is it, um, you know, how the ability to dynamically manage our programs at the same time as our donors in the same system, some serums are going to be good at that. And some aren't, you know, is it a peer to peer platform that perfectly integrates with Facebook? Some do and some don't, you know, like know what it, what are the, the real key questions and just list them out up front and give them the information, even give it to them ahead of time, even better. Like don't spend your time on the call um, rehashing stuff. If you could have just shared it in advance. I think that. Those are the biggest things for me in terms of education around engaging with the new tech provider or or a salesperson is making sure you're owning the conversation and just doing a tiny bit of work beforehand. Not a lot, just a, just a tiny little bit.
0: <laughs> what else would you tell a, a nonprofit who doesn't have a dedicated tech person who's just starting out looking for a new CRM system or a new engagement tool or fundraising tool? Uh, where do you even start? What would you recommend their first step be?
1: Yeah, I think the first step and most important step for everybody is a tech audit. So anyone can do this. Even if you think we don't have any tech, you do. I promise you, you do. You're using Google Sheets or you're using LinkedIn. You're like, those are still tech platforms. And it's important to know what you use, why, what it's serving and what it's not serving. Because when you actually list those things out, and that's part of the reason when you sign up for Pond, one of the only questions we ask is what are your current tools to kind of push people to do a little bit of introspection before they start engaging to be like, what do we even use now? Because they're, they're, And you also, you need to ask your team because I guarantee people are going to be like, oh yeah, and I use Evernote for this and I, use, and I use subtitle for our videos and I'm using here. You're not even going to know all of a sudden you have a hundred tools at play. so it's a really really helpful exercise to just do the like what is the list of things that we use Um, because it's going to help you look because it's when you're engaging with tech it's not always additive right and i think that's a people would expect us as like the tech marketplace to be like oh yeah you just need one more tool just buy one more thing but oftentimes we're encouraging people to like break up with their tech (laughs) it's like if that's not serving you And maybe you can find another tool that aggregates like a couple capabilities. Does it do it well enough based on how you prioritize them? So it all starts with an understanding of where you are today. That's like the most basic thing is, can you list out all the tools you use today? When you do that, you're going to be able to identify gaps and overlaps. Um, And I would recommend a list too, uh, like earlier about individual tools, just a priority list that don't think about it as tech-related. Just think like think about your own organization strategy because um, you'll be able to identify like where are these things serving our goals and where are they not? Um, and the third part is, which is tough, if, if you are truly a one-person shop, this can be difficult, but um, I find it really helpful to name a captain for individual platforms. So if there's something your entire team uses, you need someone on your team who is owning the use cases around it do we want that upgrade um like committing time to educating themselves and learning more about the platform or how to use it and they become kind of an internal expert but don't put that all on one person if you can avoid it um and we've even done this like as a startup we have two two and a half developers that work with our team but by and large most of our team is not uh like are not software developers and um You know, someone is still tagged, a non-technical person is tagged to owning every single platform we work with. They are the subject matter experts on it, evaluating if we want to keep it, upgrade, whatever. And then also codifying rules of how we want to use that platform. Meaning if a new person comes to the team, all of a sudden they need to know how do people work with Slack? Like how, when are we supposed to message for what? And what do I put in which channel? And like if you're that sort of like cultural overlay with how you're using technology is also really important to codify. Um, and so I think that ownership to individual people makes it more feasible, where it's not just one person that is um, more feasible and also more buy in, right? Because if you just have like, oh, the IT person, they're going to come tell me how I use everything, like that's that also doesn't lead to good buy in, engagement, change management. Um, that distributed ownership of technology will also drive home the point to your team, which is everyone's a tech person, right? Don't wait for someone else to flag a problem. Don't wait for someone else to bring up creative answers that are tech-driven to problems we're facing.
0: I That's a great idea. I think we used to call those people super users back in the day.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So, So do a tech audit, make sure that you have people who are sort of evangelists or, you know, super users for each of your tool sets. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask questions. That sounds like. Yeah. OK, very cool. Um, what else would you we're coming to the end here. What else would you like to tell the nonprofits out there that are listening? And then I got one more question for
1: you. <laughs> sure. You know, I equate to, and over the past year and a half that we've been working on this company, talked to hundreds of nonprofit leaders um, and hundreds of people on the technology side too. Um, And I think it reminds me a lot of um, like the fitness world or like diet world, where it's like. Really? where everyone knows, well, everybody knows, they're like, well, yeah, of course, technology could help me, or yeah, of of course, we could be using something better, and then there's a litany of reasons why they don't, and I I think there's a lot of similarities in that kind of, like, consumer psychology behavior of can you, you know, what is successful in getting someone to work out, right, it's accountability, it's something interesting or fun, it doesn't seem like work, right, it's... um, you know, you, it's set up so you don't have to think about it. And so we've we've tried to mirror a lot of that in the pond structure where it's like the branding and everything about it is fun and engaging and interesting. And like the step to get started, it couldn't be easier. It's like two minutes long and you get a weekly reminder once a week. It's not overwhelming. On Monday mornings, you hear from people that think they have something interesting for you. Um, so I think that's a lot of what we can do. But I would say to all the individual folks in the nonprofit, it still takes a little bit of that mindset shift and acknowledgement like yes we all know this could be helpful and yes it is attainable yes it is accessible um and i'm gonna take a step i you know you don't need to solve the world overnight which i think so many of us uh feel <laughs> and, and i think anyone who's started or leading a nonprofit is growth-minded they want to change things they want to have an impact they want to make the world better and um, I would just encourage everybody to like find a way to take that step. Maybe it is setting up your Pond profile or maybe it is just like tuning into a webinar, listening to a podcast, um, making incorporating that into your weekly regimen where you can, because it pervades really all the rest of your work and it can be super empowering.
0: Nice. So a little bit of psychology mixed in with uh, the marketing and the education in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool.
0: All right. Hey, before I let you go, uh, we always ask our guests what their favorite cause is right now. Would you be willing to share that with us?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I um, we've come across this where now that we work with so many nonprofits on the platform, folks you know want us to be like joining their peer-to-peer fundraiser and it it'd be like almost like we realized internally like we need to have a like a policy around this because obviously people join the company because they want to they're passionate about the nonprofit space. But um, you know, we have a everybody has <laughs> limits on their time and resources and also don't want to like play favorites. But for me, um, you know, my entree into the nonprofit space was all through working with the LGBT center in New York City. So um it's an easy one for me. I've been on their board now for a few years. Um, I started fundraising on their event cycle for the cause, uh, in 2016, which is the Northeast AIDS ride from Boston to New York. Um, my dad and I have actually been doing that together ever since. Uh, and we've raised over $400,000 for their HIV and AIDS efforts in grassroots, you know, human to human fundraising. So, uh, I had an uncle who passed away from aids that really inspired us to get more involved in the cause and um, i think it's there is a dual um dual mandate in it for me where it's all about um uplifting and celebrating the memory of this just entire generation of people lost to the aids epidemic but then also bringing awareness to the stigma that is still attached to folks living with hiv today and the fact that hiv is still spreading particularly um, in communities of color, amongst trans individuals at alarmingly higher rates than the rest of the population, um, actually at epidemic levels still in certain communities, which is really underappreciated. So um, that's what I'm super passionate about. The center does an amazing job within the broader New York City community, but also spreading um, you know, awareness much more broadly beyond just that local community.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's a conversation we shall be having.
1: Thank you. Yes. No, thanks for asking.
0: All right. Um, I think I think that's it. Again, this has been Mitch Stein, the co-founder and CEO of Pond. Thank you again for joining us.
1: Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for having me.
0: So that wraps up another episode of our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Pond, visit joinpond.com. And as always, you can visit Salsa at salsalabs.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Tips with Salsa.